Welcome to History in Six, a place where we sample history in six-minute increments. I'm your host, Tima Lindell, and today we're going to talk about U.S. colonial times and mainly the story of Roanoke. Time is short. Let's jump right into it. The colonialization of America began in the late 1400s with Portugal and Spain. These two naval powers at the time staked out large claims in South America. To maintain the peace, Spain and Portugal negotiated you know, with papal blessing, which was important at that time, the Treaty of Torsais, which divided the New World between these two powers. Uh, the Portugal got east of the line, which was mostly Brazil. Spain got everything west of the line, which was pretty much all of South and North America. Doesn't seem like a very fair deal, but hey, they worked it out that way. And at the time, Spain was too busy conquering the rich Aztec Empire to explore what they perceived as the poor North America. The furthest they explored north was the Florida coast in the early 1540s. In the 1560s, France, they're like, hey, let's go over and check out this America and see what we can find. And they made their way over to Florida. They set up Fort Caroline in 1562, uh, Fort Charles in 1564. And about a year later, in 1565, the Spanish discovered these forts and were like, no, man, this is our land. And it proceeded to attack them and massacre everyone in the forts. Undeterred, the French tried again with St. Bartholomew. This fort was butchered in 1572, putting an end to French's pretty much initial attempts at American colonization. It wasn't until the late 1570s that the English began exploring the, the current United States. In 1578, Humphrey Gilbert obtained letters of patent from Queen Elizabeth to, quote, discover and occupy lands not possessed by a Christian prince, unquote. Basically, you can't take any land that was settled by another European monarch because that would lead to war. <laughs> the locals, don't worry about them. I'm worried about other powers in Europe. And so with this authority, he began to publicize and promote a high seas adventure. In 1582, Gilbert set out with five ships, 260 men, in search of great fortunes in the New World. Unfortunately for them, the ships were uh, too small, foundered, Gilbert died in the uh, doomed voyage, but even so, he had lit the flames of adventure and the dreams of potential wealth from Americas. At this point in the story, Sir Walter Raleigh enters the picture. He was one of the more notable figures of the entire Elizabethan era. He came from an old family that had squandered its wealth, so he had to find his way in the world, and he had some attributes going for him. He was tall, handsome, charismatic, and most importantly, smart. He was a man of action, and like most men, great men of any era, a visionary. He uh, quickly moved up the social ladder and into the good graces of the queen, impressing her with his scientific knowledge and, more importantly, his bold vision. In 1580, he, Raleigh raised 100 footmen, and they ruthlessly put down an Irish uprising, killing hundreds of these Irish, quote-unquote, savages, hanging score more, scores more for treason, for his efforts, he was rewarded land by the queen, and the profits he gained from these new lands he used to fund his transatlantic venture. I think it's worth noticing at this point in time that the Irish wars taught the English how to conquer lands and build towns on them, a skill that would prove valuable in conquering North America. But back to our story. Raleigh's first expedition was a two-ship reconnaissance mission that set out on April 27, 1584. They sailed down to the Canaries, through Puerto Rico, up the Florida coast, and to the Carolina Banks. Now, the Carolina Banks are treacherous for large ships to navigate due to the small islands, the ever-shifting sandbars, 
that pretty much populate the entire coastline. But Raleigh and his group, undeterred, found their way through the bank and landed on what they called Roanoke Island on July 13th. The expedition saw a variety of wildlife and trees in their time there. They were especially taken back by the lack of pollution. And to think about it, this makes sense. These were men that grew up in urban areas like London, where pollution was an everyday thing. Waste in this time period was biodegradable, but it wasn't disposed of well. Trash was dumped into backyard bins, back alleys, or even the river. They didn't have plumbing, so human and animal waste traveled down the center of roads into the river. I mean, they had muckrakers were hired to clean the streets of any waste that had been stuck. Uh, latrines they had dumped directly into the river. So having this pristine environment would have been quite the experience for these men. Now, on the third day of their la- after they landed, they encountered a native. They brought him on board, clothed him, fed him, you know, gave him some wine. The native left and went fishing nearby. They watched him, and over a half day, he had filled his whole boat with fish, which they were amazed at the amount of fish that were available. And the native came back, gave them half, and, and left, I guess, waving, wishing them well. I mean, they didn't speak each other's language, so however that happened. But on the following days after that, they met other natives. They traded with them. And when they decided to return to England in September, the ship was filled with valuable furs and, and pearls. They also brought back two natives from all their things, uh, Manteo and Juan Chassi. Quite the hits in, in, in England when they returned. Raleigh was pleased by the expedition and thought Roanoke would be a suitable location for a plantation. So he began attracting investors for such an adventure. And we'll continue the story in the next episode of History in Six. So if you've enjoyed this video, give us a five-star rating. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. Either way, subscribe to get future content. And as always, have a great day if you want to.